0: Welcome to episode 58, and if you've ever considered black mold being a problem at your home, you're going to learn a lot about how this dangerous fungus could be colonizing your sinus. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Cameron Jones and I'm an environmental microbiologist. And this week I'm going to bring you a very exciting show on the topic of black mold, the infamous stachybotrys. If you have ever considered that your home or property could be contaminated with mold, you've probably looked up online and you've probably found page after page referring to something called black mold or Stachybotrys chitarum. This is the most infamous black mold. It's not as common as people think, but there has been an increasing amount of research done. And I'm going to be taking you through this week some of the key publications as well as one which has just come out in the research literature, which is talking about a patient who came uh, presented the medical clinic with a sinusitis infection, and it was typed to out to be Stachybotrys. In any case, we're going to get into this publication and what this means to you. But I want to firstly overview you on what we're going to be talking about today. And the topic that we're focusing on is facts about black mold and fungal sinusitis. And if you look at this particular photograph, which I've used as the cover of this week's live stream, you'll see that it is the underside of a ceiling in someone's home. This is a on-site photograph from an inspection I did myself, A couple of weeks ago, and the occupants had actually moved out because the mould, in their opinion, was making the entire property uninhabitable. Now, what does it actually mean when a property is uninhabitable? Well, it means that no one wants to live there. But the owner of this property wanted to investigate further because it was his opinion that there were some intrinsic building defects that had allowed water to penetrate into this property and produce the correct conditions for mould to grow. And as we know, mould loves water. It loves Uh, carbon-rich foods like timber and the underside of plasterboard. And you can see there's evidence of visual mold here when the underside of the ceiling in this particular hallway underneath the balcony was removed. But what I want to talk to you about and put this in perspective is this is what I actually was able to see inside this property. And just to orient you this, you can see the front door of this particular individual's property. You can see that some of the wall sheeting plasterboard has been removed to expose the frame. Up top, this is immediately above the front doorway. You can see that the investigations by the building inspector and the builder have lifted the tiles to look for the problem. And you can see that some of the uh, framing timbers and the structural uh, components to the ceiling uh, affecting the ground floor are covered with visual mold. But to put this in perspective for you is that something called stachybotrys has been infamously and controversially linked to something called idiopathic pulmonary hemorrhage and sick building syndrome. Now, what do I mean by idiopathic? Well, idiopathic means really no known cause, but quite severe symptoms. And historically, there are a number of papers that have linked Stachybotrys chitarum with sick building syndrome. And the reason I wanted to show you those photographs at the beginning of this talk is essentially to orient you with the fact that Stachybotrys, we actually found that when we did Petri plate press cultures up against those framing timbers, as well as tape lifts that were assessing physical structure, the underside of the plasterboard. And not only that, but when we used spore traps to capture air samples, we were able to find stachybotrys in the airspace. So I'm not surprised the people who lived in that particular home chose to move out. But what are the historically relevant papers for linking stachybotrys with adverse health? Well, we have to go back to 1999 and a famous publication uh, appeared in the research literature talking about uh, an infant or a young child who had a hemorrhage reaction to the stachybotrys in the home. And the micrograph that I've put underneath this publication, this is what I found inside the home a couple of weeks ago. And this is from a tape lift that I took off the underside of the plasterboard. And I just wanna make the very clear connection with the fact that complaints of mold, you have to find the source. Once you find the source, it's also very important to determine What type of mould is present? And we're going to get to that. And that's the topic of today's talk, because a certain percentage of the population is particularly susceptible to these toxic moulds like Stachybotrys chitarum. Okay, let's look at some of the other historically relevant pieces of literature. And we have another one from 2000, yes, 20 years ago. And this was also making the connection with stachybotrys and sick building syndrome. And I would encourage you to go to the references at the uh, uh, end of this, in the show notes to this podcast and also to the live stream where you can look up this literature yourself and verify that what I'm saying to you about the connection with stachybotrys and sick building syndrome and uh, hemorrhage reactions in people is very real and a potential adverse consequence of living in a water damage or mold affected building. Now the paper that just came out it's published ahead of print 2020 first case of invasive Stachybotrys sinusitis and you can see the characteristic black spores that this fungus produces. Now just so you don't think it's just Stachybotrys that causes severe reactions like sinusitis even a publication from 2015, was focusing on the fact that other fungi cause severe problems. I know that we're often talking about asthma and allergy and the link with these airborne spores causing an irritation reaction to the individual, but they cause serious reactions, not just singular case studies linking stachybotrys with hemorrhage in infants but aspergillosis and sinus reactions and even cerebral aneurysms that are found to be completely overgrown with fungal hyphae. Now I know this sounds like science fiction but it's science fact and that's why I'm using the references to support my statements and claims and I encourage you to download these and read these yourself. But Let's put this on a practical footing. Let's move away, step away from the research literature. In Australia, landlords have an obligation to ensure that their homes that they offer up for leasing accommodation are in a reasonable state of cleanliness and fit for habitation. And this concept of fit for habitation is a little bit grey and it's difficult, certainly for uh, microbiologists and public health Uh, individuals like myself and occupational hygienists to often collect the correct information to make a connection between the water damaged building and whether or not it is in fact fit for purpose and I strongly advise all of you if that is an outcome that you wish to achieve you need to take appropriate samples you can't rely on visual estimation alone but look we'll get to that a little bit later but I just want to make the point that if mould in any property is caused by for example a roofing leak or some type of structural defect like a guttering problem then the landlord is responsible for fixing the problem and remediating the damage caused by the water ingress and same goes for the insurance on those types of properties so although the fit for habitation may be sometimes a gray area and requiring evidence to support claims made by individuals it's still an important question that needs an answer let's get back to Botris and let's go all the way back to 1945 when one of the first publications appeared Linking Stachybotrys, this particular black mold, and adverse health in horses. And I put the paper up here. Again, you can read about this at your own time and leisure, but I've highlighted some key facts here. And a toxic reaction to Stachybotrys, it was first stated back in 1945, and that was uh, this toxic name was given to a newly discovered disease in horses that was observed in the Ukraine. And it was characterized by mucus in the airway, hemorrhage, ulceration of the mucosal membranes in the mouth, nose, and throat. And if that disease progresses, then the observation would be a reduced or lower white blood cell count which means that there is significant impact on the immune system of in this case the horse but what does that mean well the scientists then went on to state that the disease caused by stachybotrys was associated with the horse feeding on mold contaminated hay dominated by growth of stachybotrys and when Horses were deliberately and experimentally fed pure cultures of the contaminated hay or pure cultures of the fungus that had been cultured in petri plates in the lab. This led to severe symptoms in the horses, and there was a dose dependent relationship between disease severity and the consumption and concentration of the Stachybotrys. Now, this is a very important publication because it also made another key observation. We hear the term mycotoxins all the time. And many people ask me what's the relationship between the fungus and the mycotoxins? Well, Think of mycotoxins as something that the fungus produces to enable it to survive in the environment. And often it's a toxic substance which the fungus produces as part of its natural metabolism, which gives it a competitive edge against other pathogens in the wild. But these mycotoxins are often volatile, Or they are exuded in uh, droplets called gutation droplets for some fungi. And these can be toxic as well. So this is something extracellular to the fungus, which is nevertheless toxic. And so back in 1945, the scientists were able to establish that a toxic substance, independent to the vegetative cell, was able to elicit this severe adverse immune reaction in these horses and not only living or dead cultures were able to uh, cause this severe reaction and when exudates from the fungus were streaked onto the skin of even humans or rabbits it provoked an allergic dermatitis sometimes with necrosis now, what else do I want to tell you about this? Well, what Stachybotrys uh, does is that when healthy volunteers were exposed to the mouldy hay, they also developed the disease. And they, back in 1945, they were able to establish that this is caused by inhalation of the toxins or the fungus. Like what you hear so far. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. Now, we know this is a fact and there is increasing literature appearing literally month by month in the peer-reviewed literature. Here's a paper that came out on the 26th of June 2020 and the conclusion was that living or working in damp or mouldy buildings increases the risks of many adverse health effects, including asthma and other respiratory diseases. Now this came out in applied environmental microbiology and all too often I get calls from people questioning whether or not could it be true that people being exposed to water damaged buildings are in fact made ill and often their rationale for making those statements is often very self-serving in that they don't want to admit liability or often responsibility that individuals uh, in their buildings have potentially been exposed to quite severe toxins. And often people often say that they just don't believe that this could be true because they feel fine. Well, I want you to think about this research that has been coming out since the 1945 about one particular microorganism, specifically stachybotrys. We're going to focus a little bit more on this microorganism now. But to put this in context of people's buildings, Suncor, one of the largest insurers in Australia, they publicly state that 17% of their claims are water damage related. Think about that. 17% of insurable events have a water component to it. That is a significant amount of potential mould affecting Australian homes, buildings and businesses. But let's get back to what happened to that young man. The focus of the publication that's just come out about Stachybotrys sinusitis. You're probably somewhat in suspense. What happened to him? Well, the outcome isn't great, but I'm going to lead you through the case study because this establishes A couple of things that I want you to take home from this stream. A 23-year-old man with a history of leukemia, yes, he was already immunocompromised, was admitted to hospital with bone pain. He'd been diagnosed with leukemia 18 months prior to fronting up to hospital and had undergone chemotherapy in that prior 18 months. He had evidence of tissue invasion by stachybotrys, which showed up in his sinuses. He had periorbital pain in his face and headaches, and a CAT scan showed that he had definitely a sinusitis reaction. He underwent surgery. The doctors were able to isolate from the surgery and also a biopsy that stachybotrys was present in his sinus cavities. Unfortunately, he didn't get better from the sinus. He did recover from the Stachybotrys infection, but he ended up with two further surgical procedures. And each next surgical procedure led to observations of extensive inflammation and congestion and further colonization by another fungus, extremely common everywhere, worldwide, global incidence called Aspergillus. And unfortunately, the patient continued to deteriorate and he passed away 139 days after having entered hospital with headaches and sinus pain. What I want to make clear is that Stachybotrys and Aspergillus fungus were isolated and were characterized and were able to be regrown from the sinus cavity. We're not talking about sampling in people's homes. We're talking about sampling inside someone's nose. And then gene sequencing speciated and ensured that the identification of the stachybotrys was in fact correct. This paper essentially is the first case of invasive stachybotrys sinusitis. Based on the results and outcome of the first surgery, it was medically cured. However, the patient did succumb to an aspergillus-mediated sinusitis and eventually he did pass away. He was immunocompromised. So, where to from here? Well, you might be thinking, I'm being sensationalist by focusing on a case study from a patient with leukemia who ended up with a stachybotrys infection. It's like, that's not going to happen to me. I now wanna talk about immunocompromise and about how common it is. Immunodeficiency disorders in general prevent your body from fighting off diseases and infections. And they fall into two types, congenital and acquired. So congenital immune disorders means that you're born with it. But the second, the acquired, is very much like when we talk about hypersensitivity reactions to mold or outdoor pollution, for example. This is often an acquired response to something toxic which is causing an adverse reaction in your body. And these secondary or acquired conditions often occur later in life, and they are very, very common, and they outnumber the congenital disorders. Now, When an immune system is not functioning properly, you end up with problems. And there are over a hundred conditions that are known that cause immune compromise. So think about it, over a hundred different reasons to potentially front up to hospital with a sinus infection, potentially caused by black mold, contaminants picked up in a water damaged building. Let's look at some of these problems that contribute to immunocompromised status. You could be sleep deprived. You might have arthritis. Even type one diabetes makes individuals immunocompromised. Birthday on, birthday off. Successive birthdays, just getting older is gonna over time lead to immunocompromise. Behaviors, risky behaviours like smoking cigarettes. Obviously, accidents like severe burns make individuals immunocompromised. Chemotherapy, exposure to radiation, individuals undergoing transplants. Malnutrition, if you don't eat well, you can be immunocompromised. Obviously, viral infections like HIV, AIDS cancers of the immune system which we've already covered like leukemia, viral hepatitis and serious diseases like multiple myeloma all ensure that the individual is immunocompromised. Now what are the percentages of immunocompromised uh, status in the community? Well immunocompromised individuals are everywhere. Studies in the United States have confirmed that 3.6% of the entire population has an immunocompromised status. That is a huge number of potential people who could behave in the same way after repeated exposure to toxic mould in the home or workplace. And imagine if 3.6% of the population were exposed to stachybotrys. That's why this publication is so important because it establishes that exposure to toxic molds like stachybotrys can lead to very serious sinusitis reactions and there's a huge pool of immunocompromised individuals. So next time you unenviably find yourself in a dispute with a landlord, a builder or an insurer concerning whether or not you should just let the building dry out. That is, leave the mould there. Think about it. Imagine you might be in perfect health. All of your family might be in perfect health. But what happens if and when you become part of that 3.6% pool of immunocompromised status People, that cohort exposed to water damage, like I'm showing up on screen, is particularly severe. You can see I'm holding a Rodak plate and look again at what we have been able to culture and then visualize with tape lifts from a simple hallway, something that this family would have gone in and out through their front door, out their front door, and into life. Well, it puts it in perspective what sick-building syndrome is, doesn't it? Anyway, I hope you've learned something about the importance of black mold, the fact that many different types of molds can cause hypersensitivity and allergic reactions. Not everyone's going to end up with invasive fungal sinusitis, but similarly, it could happen. And the fact that it could happen means that water damage needs to be taken very seriously and remediated properly, not covered up or hoping for the best or suggesting that it's unlikely to happen to you. Just think about it. 3.6% of the population is immunocompromised. When will it be your turn? Anyway, my name's Dr. Cameron Jones. Have a great week. Stay safe and I'll see you next week. Bye now. Thanks for joining me this week on The Mold Show. Make sure to visit our website at themoldshow.com where you can subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow up on specific content or any of the references that were discussed, which I always put up on the show notes. If you found value in this podcast, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or tell a friend or share this episode out to your network and family. As always, you can reach me on socials at dr cameron jones and i'm always happy to answer your questions have a great week and bye for now